This is Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Ambition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lindsay Marner, who is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for Aria NLG. So, Lindsay, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kyle. Pleasure is all ours. Really looking forward to this. So, um, I guess where we always start, Lindsay, is by asking our guests to give themselves a very brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until landing at this point, if uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, so brief background. Uh... My education and first part of my career was in economics and international finance, uh, and I was part of a finance team for about 15 years. Um, and I have a love for technology, so I uh, got into the technology sector and software sector, really technologies that transform the way that we do things as humans always fascinated me, and I had a deep passion for that. Um, so that's been a big part of my a second phase of my career. Nice, nice, very good. Um, so, talk us through the business then. Who you are, what you do, who you're helping, all of that type of good stuff. Yeah. So, what we do. Um, well, the, the first time that I saw it, um, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I can't unsee this." And now it's going to be the <laughs> only thing that I think about. Um, and then you see it everywhere. So, what we do um, is we take data and we turn it into language. So for me, coming from the finance space, um, I was a human calculator. And when I think back to what I went to school for and what I did for the first 15 years of my career, I was just computing. Um, And I was computing this and then explaining them, computing and then explaining. And the finance team, that was all I did all day long. And so um, to see a technology that could, and we'll talk more about this today, but that could make humans more human again, um, that could do what I was doing. I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is so far beyond uh, my role in a finance department, but it's going to apply to anywhere that a human is analyzing data from meteorology to doctors and nurses um, anywhere, uh, you know, logistics uh, we we see it in, in uh, engineering so, um, so, so what we do is really emulating that process of what a human does, both the computation um, and calculation and analysis of data, as well as the ability to explain that in language, which is ultimately what we deliver, natural language generation, data to, to text. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really, I mean, it fascinates me because obviously we've had this whole debate going on in the industry for a long time, you know, around the buzzwords like artificial intelligence, right? And is AI going to take over the world? Is it going to steal everyone's jobs and all of that type of stuff? And I think the, you know, what we've landed on now is a situation where it's not going to steal everyone's jobs. It might just take away certain components of people's jobs so that it allows you to focus on the areas that you know humans add more value to effectively which is kind of sounds like what you you just described a little bit yeah back in 2014 when i first started selling this technology um and, and i was approaching analysts there was a lot of press back in around 2000 uh it was 2014 2015 robots are taking over <laughs> you know there was a lot of this like you know press like that um and i thought oh well you know how are people going to respond to this and a lot of people said well it replaced me now the message has shifted to, I want to be bionic. You know, I, I want that ability to, you know, you know, Iron Man call Jarvis and say, what is going on here? What do I do? Help me respond in fractions of a second because my brain doesn't have the processing power, the compute power of machine. Um, I'm a mom of three. I've got a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, a six-year-old. I work. I want to be more bionic. I want to be able to do my job better, smarter, faster, get more done in a more efficient way. So any way that can te technology can help me do more, be smarter, be faster, that should be exciting people. It's not taking away human tasks. It's taking away machine tasks, right? Taking the machine out of the man. Let us be human. Let us yep. do more human things. Let us have more time to do things that humans were meant to do. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I guess before we jump into the, the kind of meat of today's kind of discussion, then just lastly, where does your role sit within the organization? I guess what's, you know, what's your, what's, what are you tasked with achieving as it were? So, so my task is uh, heading up global sales and strategic partnerships. Um, so I'm responsible for, for new business development on the enterprise side of the business. Um, as well as key strategic partnerships, both on the independent software vendor side, the ISV side with partners of ours, uh, like MicroStrategy, like Click, like Tableau, and many others. Yep. Um, and then also with the systems integrator partners. So really responsible for making sure that we have the network to support our customers. Um, and then, of course, new business uh, falls underneath my, my direction as well. Yep. Yep. Nice. Okay, cool. So I guess great starting point. I know we started to touch upon it there quite um, inadvertently, but I guess, why do you feel it's important for us as an industry to, you know, start humanizing data? Because there's a lot of talk about that, right? Why is it important? Anytime that I have to come to something prepared, right? Whether that's today, although I have to do too much preparation for today, because <laughs> I know what we're talking about, right? But um, I read, Right. I read about it um, and I become knowledgeable in something so that when I show up to that meeting, I know my stuff. And when I know what I'm talking about, I feel confident. Right. And I feel like I can make a difference. Right? I can be impactful. Knowledge is very powerful. So in order to be knowledgeable, you have to have comprehension. Right. So if I can understand something that empowers me to do really smart things. And change, change the world is a big statement, but if I'm in business, change my department, change performance, change, make change and, and do something intelligent. And so when we have data that we don't understand, right, old way, Lindsay, explain it to me. You're the data analyst, explain it to me. 
I don't understand. That takes time. And you have a dependency on other humans to be able to articulate that in a way in which you can understand, because not everyone has the same level of comprehension. So when I explain something, I use this example, when I explain something to my six-year-old, it's different than I explain it to my 13-year-old, different than I'll talk to you, different than I'll talk to one of our founding scientists, Dr. Ahud Ryder, right? The way in which I explain something is going to be different based off the constituent I'm explaining it to. And so, so it's important because if we can facilitate the democratization of data literacy, of data comprehension then we're empowering people to do really smart things because they're empowered to do that. So without, without democratizing that comprehension, automating the explanation, now I see it in words, I can read that and understand it. That's, that's the way we understand things by speaking, which is why we're speaking right now. We're not doing Pictionary. You know, this is not a Pictionary podcast, right? We're not drawing pictures. We're, we're talking because this is the best way for your listeners to understand the topic that we're talking about today. And so the ability to offer that level of comprehension around data to anybody, right, to everyone in different ways, empowers companies to do a lot more, right? Sharpen up, be smarter, be more efficient, be more productive, impact their business. So that's the real importance from a business perspective when you see this used in uh, blood banks, when you see this used in hospitals, when you see this used in, in some very impactful use cases, it saves lives. It, it actually it actually physically is changing response times, the ability to understand what's going wrong with a patient, um, right? So, so different applications have different levels of impact, but I'd say across the board, it's really about data comprehension and, and what that empowers people to do. Yeah. Absolutely agree. I think, you know, the amount of conversations that I have where, you know, we use the term data driven, right? And I think that um, you get a lot of people that strongly disagree with that and they kind of put their front foot forward and say we should be insights driven, you know, much to my disappointment after I labeled the podcast driven by data. But anyway, that's a different story, right? So, um, <laughs> but but I completely get the point. And I think if you think about the conversations that go on inside organizations you know ceo can i have that report it comes it looks it's in a nice pdf document whatever the case may be it's been visualized there's graphs there's charts but that to whoever looking at it is still subjective right they've still got to draw out those insights based on their data literacy their knowledge of what they're looking at which who knows whether they're pulling out the things that were intended to be pulled out you know and and how that's interpreted so i think the whole piece of getting from actual analyzing data that provides insight to then translating those insights into words so that anyone can understand what it means is is really really interesting i guess how from a from a human perspective then because this is a piece that i'm really kind of keen to understand how businesses like yours kind of i guess approach this it what makes humans human how do you know that what you're delivering is kind of what humans need to to kind of have to to do their jobs if that makes sense part of what makes humans human there's good things and bad things so you know you were just pointing out something around insight driven versus data driven um and and as you were saying that i thought well that's something that's not so great about humans because they can interpret things so, 
So I can look at something and say, well, this is what I see. And then you can look at something, the same thing and draw a different conclusion from that. And that can be really dangerous when it comes to making big business decisions. So, um, so, so that, that's the, that's the downfall of what makes humans human. Um, and I think that that's why it's important to have. And one of the, one of the things we see is we want consistency. We want everybody to, to really understand what's going on. Humans miss things, right? Humans are, they say they're not biased, but we are biased because when you go and look at data, you're looking at it and you start to pick up patterns in the way in which you analyze data. Um, we get tired, right? So, so there's a lot of things. Um, I was, didn't think I was going to talk about the negative things about humans, but <laughs> there's a lot of things that that are that that make us human. That is that that can be detrimental to um, to a business. Um, but the things that the most important thing about humans is that we have the ability to to do something, right? So it's about not staring at the numbers, but getting physically up out of our chair and doing something about it. So, so the, the machine can't, can't change something, cannot change a business process, cannot uh, go ahead and say, well, we're going to redo the way that we do this. Well, why? Well, now I understand the data and I understand what's going on. So this is the way we're going to, to change our process, right? So I mean, people buy into two things. They buy into people and technology always. And so there's no replacing my ability to support a customer there's no ability. There's no ability for technology to, you know, enact change within an organization. I think that's that's the most important thing about humans is doing human things, not machine things, right? Yeah. Having a conversation, um, you know, sentiment. These are things that machines will never do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think look, I, I couldn't agree more. I think if all the conversations that I have throughout this podcast, through what we do for our day job through the events that we run, obviously, you know, there's a whole host of stats out there which kind of support support that narrative, right? You know, we're great at building the tech, we're great at building the teams, we're great at delivering the products and solutions, but often what lets you know, the, the amount of value that organizations get from data isn't as much as it should be because really change hasn't been, you know, at the forefront of that, of that thought process. So basically we're getting to a point here now, all of the back end stuff can be done by machines, right? Can give you that insight, but ultimately it's the power of humans that goes and kind of enacts that, that change, right? Which is, yeah. which is really interesting. I, I guess, where do you draw the line then as a, as a business and how do you help your customers draw that line between what humans do and what machines do and you know what humans do when you remove the machine type tasks if that makes sense how do you kind of quantify what goes in what what bucket as it were yeah well when it comes to report writing and and kind of delivering insights i'll use the word insights data insights up into the business uh, there's data driven pieces and then the other pieces i uh, somewhat jokingly call feelings, but they're more than feelings, right? <laughs> there, there's intelligence behind those feelings, but there's there's data-driven components. And then there's things that that you know from experience or you know from looking at disparate data sets that are not part of the data set that maybe NLG technology is 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 absorbing. So certainly in terms of the process, there is a beginning and an end to where the data exists. So, so the data that you have access to and the data that's fed to a system that's going to deliver you a data-driven insight, um, that, that has an endpoint. 
And so, so what the data will never be able to do is draw on my personal experience, draw on research that you have from the field. And these are all things that, that, you know, people are adding to it. So, you know, maybe it's an attribution report around how a portfolio performed and I won't name names, but maybe there's a tweet that goes out and, and that wasn't in the data set. And, and that affected how your portfolio performed. You know, you can't see that. There's things you can't see. There's things that's not in the data. Um, and you could say, well, I know from history when, when this person sends a tweet, it affects the portfolio this way or something. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. so I think that, I think that that's where, you know, there is a, there is a definitive line when it comes to drawing on experience, drawing on research, drawing on things that the system, the machine doesn't have access to. Um, and then of course, change. Right, actually getting up physically out of your chair, you know, the machine, the software systems, never going to be able to do that and say, okay, this is what the data is telling me. We need to go do this. Right, we need to set this other thing in motion in order to impact the business. But it's definitive lines, and what we find is that humans are thrilled. It might be a little scared at first, <laughs> but then when you build trust, right, and they can trust in the system, they understand how it works, they understand how the software works, and they say, wow, I don't want to do this anymore. I had, I had a fear of giving it up, but I want to do human things. Yeah. I mean, we talk, don't we, a lot about kind of democratizing data, but I think really what we talk, what we're referring to is democratizing knowledge, right? Which is yeah. why this piece of the puzzle is, is so important because you can make data readily av available to everybody. But if everybody, you know, with a set of eyes is looking at this data with, um, you know, a, a different view and interpreting that differently. As you said, in a business context, that could be really dangerous, right? So, I mean, how, how do you distinguish between the two? Because that must be something that gets kind of confused with the clients that you support, right, surely? Because, you know, we, we have all these phrases and slogans and buzzwords, right, in our industry. So I, I guess that's a something that you probably have to tackle quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're asked about the difference between, you know, data, data and knowledge. Yeah. I, I mean, data accessibility is useless unless you can understand it. So, you know, you could give people a lot of data, but you could give them even a lot of dashboards, but why, why, why did that number move that way? Um, maybe humans are great at doing complex algorithms. I love math. Um, right. I love doing math. I think it's fun. Um, but that math is just going to produce more numbers. And I've got to then be able to explain why they behaved that way. Why did they behave that way? Why is it important to me? We talk about the what happened, why or how did that happen? And then the so what, who cares what's next or whatever you want to call that. So what, right? It's the so what that's important, right? What is this actually going to mean to the business? How is this going to impact the business? And so, um, yeah, that's knowledge. That's that's literacy. That's comprehension. That's not data accessibility, right? Yeah. That's data explanation, and and that explanation and what happened is what's going to empower humans. Right? Yeah. That's what empowers you. So so yeah, we have access to all this data, but what good is it? So talk us through then. Let's let's jump into the natural language technology piece then, because again, an area that fascinates me. From from a high level, just talk us through how this works for any of our listeners that maybe aren't too familiar, which I don't think there'll be many, but just in case. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll keep it uh, pretty high level and 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 simple, certainly without uh, you know showing you my screen and demonstrating it. But <laughs> the the process, I mean, the definition of artificial intelligence 
Um, in, in my opinion, my simple definition, if I had to explain it to a child, is you're replicating a human process. So we're taking something that a human do, does or used to do, and we're doing that with technology. That's the simple way, right? AI does not equal ML. ML is a type of, of AI. AI does not equal NLG. Natural language generation, it's, it's, a, it's a subset of AI, right? So we're emulating what a human does. So with natural language generation, um, and this as I said earlier, it just fascinated me because um, there's a few things I'm about to describe that I had no idea my brain could do. And I, how could I not know that? Like <laughs> I, I, I first learned about NLG technology in 2011 and I thought, oh, now I want to go back to school. I want to go back to university and redo everything and just study NLG because um, as a math geek myself, I had no idea that we are doing mathematical calculations in our brain to speak. And that blew my mind. So every single word, and if I try to think about it, my brain's going to like freeze up and I'm not going to be able to speak at all because it's too, it's too overwhelming to think about, but, uh, but it's not so overwhelming. So we're doing mathematical calculations uh, in our brains to decide what to say. So for example, if you were to start to fall asleep right now, as I was speaking, <laughs> which would be extremely embarrassing, uh, <laughs> my entire sentence structure would change. My intonation would change, how I would speak to you would change. Um, and there's other examples, right? So if somebody's leaning forward in a conversation, but there's other data inputs that we're going to pull in, right? And that's going to change how we how we describe something and how we put together not only the sentence, the, the word choice, the sentence, the paragraph structure, the entire you know document orchestration or conversation orchestration would change based off the data inputs that we receive. And humans, we could do that live, like right now, right? And I'm not reading from a script, right? I knew the high level of what we're going to talk about, but I didn't prepare answers to questions. So my brain is computing. As you're asking me a question, I'm drawing on data that I have in my brain to formulate an answer in a way in which I think you and your listeners will understand because I know who I'm talking to. So what we do at ARI is we emulate that human process. So the first piece is data. So the data that I'm working from right now is the data that's in my brain. It's data that I know right now. Um, but I could reference other data if we wanted to, and I could pull it up, right? It's going to take me longer than it takes ARIA software, right? My brain is not as powerful as ARIA software or any software. Um, but so we have data that we have access to. And the next thing that we do as humans is we do math on that data for more, like for the results of more math, right? So, so that's going to kind of distill it down, filter it down into, uh, you know, smaller subsets, right. Or aggregated sets of data. Uh, I had, well, I'll, I'll, I'll describe this in children in a moment. Cause I think it's really fascinating to see how the human brain works. And I'll come back to that after I describe the flow, cause I don't want to interrupt the flow here. So we have math, right? So we're computing things, right. And then after we compute and we have those values, we're doing language math. That's the math that I described, right? That's the, the calculation on what word matches what the results of that math were, right? And then we're putting that all together, right? We're actually orchestrating. Our brain is actually orchestrating. And I don't think about, I don't do any copywriting. I don't do any copy editing. I'm not a language girl, even though I work for a language company. I'm more of a math girl, but um, I don't have to think, did I use a pronoun? Did I use an adjective? Did I use a verb? I, I don't even think about that. I've never thought about that ever. 
in my life? Is my sentence structure proper? But here it comes out in a way that is acceptable to you, right? So I'm putting together complete sentences, sentences that connect to each other, that refer back to other sentences. So our software emulates that. For example, if I say the following, if I say, uh, well, I'll do it the wrong way first. Bank of America stock went up 2%. Uh, Chase stock went up 2%, you know, whatever. JP Morgan went up 2%. No, we say the following three stocks each went up. If I said, you know, Kyle and Matt went to a baseball game, probably a bad example here in the UK. Uh, He liked it the most. Who is he? Is it Matt? Is it Kyle? Wrong, right? We don't think about those things. So our brain is automatically doing all of that. So analyzing the data, right? understanding what happened, what drove those insights. That's more of our computation to say, okay, this was an outlier here. These are the five transactions that caused this, whatever it may be, right? And then the ability to communicate that in language and stringing that, the results of that data together in words that then humans can comprehend. That's what our software does. Uh, I had the pleasure of having children after joining ARIA. So I had children before and after. My first uh, child was born in 2008, Um, So that was before I joined ARIA. Then my daughter was born in 2011, just as I learned about ARIA. So I didn't get to test this really with her. But my youngest was born in 2015. And I felt like doing some experimenting on him. I guess I'm a scientist myself somewhere in there. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. Let's see what happens with words. And there's some study somewhere and somebody who knows this, uh, this more than I do can quote me on it. But um, like you, you have all the, you know, understand language by the time you're three, you have like enough language. Like that's like it. I mean, you learn more complex words, but by the time you're three, or, you're three years old, you have like the whole construct of language before you even go to school. So I tested it with my son. So, you know, he'll come up to you and say, children will come to you and say, like, he hit me on the playground. He hit me or something. He tripped me, whatever. Who is he? Yep. Who is he? I only had to say that once, one time, one time, proper pronoun use from there on out, one years old. Hmm. That's a big hill, mommy. That's a big hill. He was using math to describe how steep a hill was. That's a big hill. So big, so (laughs) small, right? That gets more complex, right? When we talk about you know, what drivers and offsets were, right? Or a large contributor, overperformance, underperformance. We get more sophisticated with these concepts, but our brains are doing this the second we start to speak. 12 months old, 18 months old. So, So that process, that's what we have put into software. And it's it's more complex than just the math behind it because the use of use of language is very complex right? The the proper use of language and how to string sentences together and then how to refer back to other concepts within a document. Um, That's something that that is sophisticated in our software. We have over 170 functions in our software that emulate how a human can understand, compute, and then communicate data uh, in language. So uh, the the science goes back actually to to the 1970s and 1980s. and, and the studies the studies of this technology have, have been really perfected over the last, geez, with that 50 plus years, so. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's a really good example there because I guess, as you said, it's not something that you think about. It's certainly not something that I've ever thought about that my brain while I'm speaking to you now is, you know, coming up with all these calculations to say this is what you need to say and this is how you need to say it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's, yeah, that's really fascinating. And as I said, not something that probably anyone thinks about. Right. How, how does thinking that... about what the questions are that you asked me already, right? Your your yeah. brain's going through all of that. You're just not thinking about it, right? Mm. It's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that then translate if we get into the technology and what it can do and I guess how it then actually works in a real kind of business setting? How does that kind of technology work, I guess, from a high level perspective? So, so in a business setting, I'll use a few examples, whether it's a sales report, a revenue report. Uh, you know, an expense report, whether it's a financial report or it's a, a clinical study report reporting on adverse events, you know, in a, in a clinical trial, you know, with, with drugs or whatever type of reporting that is, right? HR, logistics, whatever it might be. Um, somebody is currently today explaining something to another human in a written format. Oh, maybe it's verbal, but um, we could turn it into a written format, right? So there's a report or, or maybe it's an insight in language, right? Within a, within a dashboard that is being generated. And before ARIA, that's manual, right? So somebody, a human is physically typing something, physically communicating something. Maybe they're standing there every week on Friday at 12, they stand in front of somebody else or on video and they explain it. So whether it's written or, or spoken, a human is currently doing that today. So what ARIA does is we look at, and and the technical term is corpus analysis. So we're looking at, or multiple corpus are corpora. So we're looking at uh, multiple bodies of of text that are generated today. And the first thing that we do is we make sure in that corpus analysis, we actually highlight it um, green, yellow, red. So what are the things that are coming directly from data? Those things will highlight green. That's going to be really easy. We could pull those things in pretty quick. When we highlight in yellow, those are things that we have to compute. So they don't exist directly in the data, but they need to exist in order for us to talk about them. And their ability to exist is clear because we can use data to compute those values, um, whether those are words or numbers either. So so when I say values, it might be uh, it might be. A, uh, a word like overperformed, right? That might be, we, we have to be able to describe that in a word. Um, so, so everything that we highlight in yellow are things that we can compute, whether uh, descriptions and words or numbers. And then the things that we highlight in red are what I call feelings, as I said before. These are things that are not found in the data that a human would still have to add because there's no data that exists to describe that. Um, so, so that's 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 what we do, right? We're looking at what that pro, what that communication is today, and do we have the data in order to automate that, right? For our system to ingest that and then compute the words out the other side. I guess that's a simple way to describe the process, right? We're looking for areas where humans are spending too much time explaining data and automating that so they could be more productive. That's really interesting. I guess how do you then? Because you talked about the several hundred functions or you know 170 functions i think you said that that the technology has what what pieces of the nlt do what like how how is that categorized by you know purpose i guess yeah so i'd say that so certainly with natural language technologies which uh, we have areas of our technology suite that use all of them so natural language understanding natural language processing natural language query 
which is becoming more and more important. How do I access certain things um, within my data um, via voice, right? Which we do. Uh, and then natural language generation. So we, we do use all of the natural language technologies inside of our, our technology, even though our roots is uh, natural language generation. We are using lots of different natural language technologies, but they have a different purpose based off of what you're trying to do and how they are used will really depend on the use case. So, and that goes for value as well, right? What are you trying to automate? An, an email title or, you know, a pharmaceutical report, right? A, a, a drug label, right? Or, you know, an executive financial summary, right? So, so how they are used will really depend on, on the use case and, and to what extent you use them. Um, Dr. Ahud Ryder has a, a historical blog. It's probably years and years old, but he talks about levels of NLG, five levels of NLG um, from very simple like mail merge, which as an NLG fan myself, I like struggle to think of that as NLG because it's mail merge. It's Mad Libs. It doesn't make sense. How is that NLG? But there are people out there that will say, well, I'm plugging in a data value and I'm going from data to text um, all the way to computational linguistics. So actually, where is the pronoun in the data? Where is the verb in the data, right? Actually, you know, there's a spectrum. And different use cases require different levels uh, of, of how you would use our software. You can use our software in very simple ways, right? And that could provide a lot of value or very sophisticated ways. So unfortunately, the answer to your question is it really depends on, on what you're trying to automate will dictate what type of technology you use and how, how sophisticated you use that technology. Right, to what extent you use that yeah i guess are, are there more i guess certain sectors or you know are there things that this typically works better for than other things because you talked about that you know this could work in hr it could be logistics it could be in the pharmaceutical setting clinical studies you know um, and i i guess i appreciate from a high level really what you're doing is taking data and turn it into text so there's nothing that it couldn't be used for but i guess you know broad question then what what where do you find that most of your clients operate and is there a particular type of thing that they get most value from yeah well i mean the low-hanging fruit is the finance teams and we see a lot of our customers start in financial reporting the data is very organized it's structured um, we see a lot of our customers start with business intelligence dashboards because what the reason that they purchased a business intelligence tool in the first place right is to understand their data and, and they're using visuals today to do that. And visuals are very powerful. You know, I think it's more of a better together message than a one or the other, right? We do not believe at ARIA that you should, you know, try to replace your dashboard. You should enhance your dashboard, right? Make, make it better. And so, um, you know, the, the, the reason why people have invested in business intelligence is because they, they want to understand that. So if somebody has a business intelligence dashboard in place already, a lot of finance teams are already using business intelligence. Um, so I'd say a lot of people start in finance, but then really any use case where they're using a business intelligence dashboard is really good. And that doesn't answer your question perfectly, but, but it's structured data. So the answer really is if that data is organized and aggregated and accessible in one place, that makes your time to value with NLG technology much shorter. If we have to worry about where can we find this data, we have to pull it all together, we have to aggregate it, we have to put it in an organized structure, right? In order to talk about something, it has to be there. So, you know, with business intelligence, with finance teams, it's all there, it's all organized. 
Um, so that makes the time to value really, really quick. So, so that's where we see a lot of our customers start. Then once they get comfortable with our software, they just start to put it everywhere. Any, right? It doesn't matter if it's a big use case, a small use case, because now they're comfortable with how the software works. Um, but most of our customers will start in finance or in a business intelligence dashboard type use case. Yeah. You started there to touch upon value, which is somewhere that I kind of wanted to to explore because I guess in this scenario, there's there's two things, right? In the industry, we 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 debate nonstop about this term ROI, right? Return on investment. And in the world of data analytics, that's quite a gray area because where did the cost start? That's that's the easy bit, right? To kind of say, well, this is what it costs to buy that technology or to build that team or whatever the case may be. But then as you start to use data within an organization, the value that comes out of the other side, well, who do you attribute it to? You know, all of that type of stuff. I guess from a value component, obviously with this, you've got obviously time savings, right? Time saving equals cost savings. I, I, I get that. But I guess where, where, where are organizations seeing that value and I guess what comes beyond, you know, because I guess is the quantifiable value in the fact that you can provide text around insights that might make better decisions, if you get where I'm going with this? Yeah. So uh, it's a, it, you've just laid up a plug for me because we have <laughs> a total economic impact uh, paper coming out in December. So um uh, it's written by Forrester, so it's produced by a third party, but they went and interviewed uh, seven of our top customers and, and actually went through the very specific um, you know, return on investment, total cost of ownership calculations, RITCO calculations with each customer, and those will be published um, around each one of those use cases. So the actual math that they use to calculate that and, and how they calculated that. Uh, but in doing the, the process and describing uh, to Forrester how this is calculated, you're absolutely right. There are things that are very, very easy to quantify. It currently takes me 10 minutes to write this report, and I'm not going to have to write this report anymore. It's 10 minutes of savings. That's the easy stuff. Right? Calculating time savings is easy. The harder bits right, are the bits that you can't see. For example, now that I know this 30 days sooner, so maybe my team, it took them 30 days to, to write, to, to pull this whole report for me together. Yep. Now I know it 30 days sooner. What type of business impact does that have for me? Right. So when we're looking at consumer product goods, for example, we have a number of customers that are in the consumer product goods space. Supply chain, especially now, uh, there, there are no algorithms for 2020, 2021 when it comes to supply chain. Like they, there's no predictive algorithm that's going to work. And I, I feel bad, right? like, guys, like what algorithm are you going to use? There's no, you can't look at any historical data for the last two years. This is all new. So, so there's no algorithm that's going to tell you how to do that. But, um, but knowing where to ship something faster, knowing from a marketing perspective, when to pull an ad that you're spending big bucks on sooner, this ad's not working. But maybe my human employees would have told me that two weeks, in two weeks time, but now they're able to tell me it as the ads are running, as the clicks are happening, pull this ad, repost this other one, it's working better, right? So the ability to accelerate your intelligent data insight, intelligent decision-making, right? That's data-driven, right? 
but insight data-driven, right? That is something that it's hard. You're right. It's very hard to quantify what did that actually mean to my business and where you see what that means to the business is in the before and after comparison. Before, right? This is what was happening. Now, after, this was actually the revenue impact or the or the expense saving, right? The bottom line or top line impact that post NLG had. So you're absolutely right. Those calculations can be much more challenging for teams to do when they're doing, you know, ROI or TCO calculations. Um, but our customers have have been able to kind of look back after putting NLG in place and say, this is actually how it physically impacted our business. But I think any time that you're dealing with um, AI technology that's doing something that knowledge workers do today, um, you're not replacing, I'd say probably none. I'm trying to think right now, are any of our our customers saying it's cost takeout for us? No, it's not about cost takeout at all actually. It's about not adding more cost. So, so we don't see our customers say, well, I'm going to, you know, now I can terminate hundred people on the 10th floor. No, they're saying, well, now those people can do other things for us. They don't have to do that anymore. They're going to do other things for us. So if we're trying to bring 10 new drugs to market this year, and we brought five new drugs to market last year, we do not have to increase our staff. We can bring an additional five to drugs to market this year or five new products to market this year without increasing our staff because now we're, we're getting smart with technology, yep. right? And that's that's where it's it's getting more out of the resources that you have is really where, where our customers really find the value. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's time calculation as a part of that, but then there's other things that can be harder to quantify. Um, and, and that's always a challenge. I've been trying to build... Uh, ROI calculator for NLG for the last 10 years. So if anyone else, anybody out there has one, um, I, I'd love to compare it to mine. It's, it's, it's a challenging thing to do when you're, when you're across so many different use cases and uh, you know, you're, you're emulating a process that has impacts post report, you know, post narrative. Yep. Yep. And I guess, uh, have you, have you seen a kind of surge in demand for this i mean i guess this is one of them things that's just going to kind of you know take off the more use cases there are of course but um i I guess with the whole digital revolution or evolution or whatever we're calling it that that we're you know going to go through post pandemic and every organization surging towards being more digitally native i imagine this is something that's going to be of big importance to them right i mean covid was a big shove right i mean you know industrial revolution, technology revolution, digital revolution. This is the human revolution. And and we've been nudged in that, right? We've been totally shoved into that space. And pre-COVID, it was time savings, time savings, time savings. That was my big thing, you know, save time, smarter, better, faster. Then it was everything's paused. We're doing contingency planning. I thought, well, this is great in the sense that NLG is a perfect fit for contingency planning. What are you going to do when your knowledge worker isn't there? Hmm. What are you going to do when you have less resource? You need to scale down, but you still need to keep doing the same things you were doing before, right? So uh, it's an insurance policy. You know, you have have this knowledge, this expert knowledge sitting in the brains of, of your best people 
You want everybody to be your best person, right? That's that knowledge democratization, right? So I think that, um, you know, now that people are home, still home, I'm in the office today, but, you know, we need to, we need to become more efficient. I also think, you know, it goes beyond all the business reasons. So the business reasons are, you know, knowledge capture, subject matter expertise capture, you know, you know, that, that goes into that contingency planning line, efficiency, productivity, all these business reasons. But I think what, what we've also seen in the last two years is humans want to be more human again. So it's interesting because we were in that, or certainly I was, you know, in that rat race and you're, you're, you're in a schedule, get up, you drive to the office, you, 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 you know, you, you bang out your day, you're, 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 you're pushing, 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 running, running, running. Um, people are spending more time with their family. They're taking a break and, and taking a walk for lunch. They're, they're doing human things. And I think everybody's saying, well, geez, I can work from anywhere now. Uh, maybe I want to surf on my lunch break or take a swim or whatever it is. Right. Um, so uh, I think people want to be more human. And I think that this plays into that because um, I don't want to do that. I don't want to write those reports anymore. I don't want to do all those, you know, tasks that machines can do, right? So I think that this has actually been a big shove into that direction of we're actually ready to let go. I, I sent you a note before this since the 1800s. How can technology do what I do, right? How can technology do it? And, and then we had all this data and... Now we're not saying, how can we use technology more? And we are in that with the technology. But now we're saying, okay, how, how can technology allow me to be human again? It's almost like full circle. You know, back in the 1800s, it was all human. You know, everything was us, right? We didn't have any technology to use. I think we want to say now, let technology do what it can do, right? And, and let me go back to doing what I was supposed to, what I was born to do, right? Which was, which was, like, you know, change the world, change your company, you know, get excited, you know, get creative, bring new ideas to the table. You know, yep. that's what humans do. We're creative beings. We're inspirational beings. And that's what we should be doing. Not, not computing. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Well, look, Lindsay, it's been an absolute pleasure. Conscious of time. I guess if anyone out there is keen to speak to you about how you guys might be able to support or whether they've just got questions about you know the technology in general or anything that we've discussed today what's the best way for them to to reach you i am easy to find uh <laughs> first name dot last name at aria.com a-r-r-i-a.com um linkedin i'm very active on linkedin as well um i will post and share a lot of things outside of just what aria is doing um, I'm a part of a lot of different uh, user groups and, and different inspirational like, technology groups. So LinkedIn, my email, my cell phone is published everywhere. So you can even text me if you've got an inspirational idea. Uh, I'm in sales. So, uh, so there's no shame. So <laughs> I'm, I'm easy to find. Um, email, LinkedIn, give me a ring. Happy Perfect. to talk. NLG, AI, tech. It's always yep. a lot of fun. Perfect. Well, Lindsay, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Fantastic and fascinating conversation. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing how the, the journey unravels. Thanks, Kyle. Look forward so to talking to you. This episode of Nancy. Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, 
Please follow our Bishing Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Thank you.